Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity Community Church. It's good to see everybody today. How are you doing? That's the best you got. That's the best you got. Um, A couple things real quick before we get started. I just sense this in my heart strong. I don't do this often, but I feel like I need to be obedient to the Lord this morning. You know, we we are slowly... Uh, continuing to pursue God's presence. In God's presence, miracles happen. We don't seek the gifts, we seek the giver. And it's from the giver the gifts flow. Um, One of the things that I felt very strong in my heart this morning was this. Uh, God is healing wounds. Uh, Some of you have been praying for for children. And God is about to, to bring those prayers into your reality. So do me a favor. When that happens, tell me. Okay? I'm not talking about names. I'm not talking about colors of dresses, any of that stuff. I feel like God's saying I'm healing wounds today, or wounds. Um, trust. Believe that you follow the God of the impossible. Because, ready for this? You do. Spoiler alert, you do. He loves you. Amen? Um, I had a very weird encounter this week. I had somebody ask me, they said, TJ, you cannot possibly have the encounters that you have every week and the stories. Let me just, let me set your mind at ease. I, I do. Follow me around and you, you, it's like, how can this possibly happen? How many of you know that life is an adventure as long as you look for it? Amen. It is. Now, sometimes we go through life and we don't, we don't look. We just kind of breeze through. So I was uh, at Acme. I hate going to Acme. You know, I just want to get my stuff and get out. You know, I'm a man, you know, I just want to get my stuff, get out. If it's Cabela's, maybe we'll mingle, you know, mingle a little bit, not, not Acme. So I'm in the line. It's, I don't want to be there. The lady, the girl that's behind the counter, to me, she looks like she's 12, but she's probably 16 or 17. The older I get, the younger everybody looks. I'm like, how is that person driving? And they're like, well, they're 26. Well, okay. Amen. So I'm in line and I'm standing there and I do my stuff. And she looks at me and she goes, um, senior discount. I'm like, Me? She goes, yeah, senior discount. And I, I was like, you know, so I, what do you do in that situation? You know, now again, I'm, I'm not, I will embrace the old age, but I'm not there yet, baby. You know what I mean? I may or may have not, you know, received a couple AARP cards in the mail, but I don't want to talk about that right now. So I looked at her and I thought I was going to be witty. And I said, oh, no, sweetie. I said, I said, I mean, how old do you think I am? And she goes, I really don't know, senior discount or not. I looked at her and said, no, no senior discount. She was fine. So I pay my stuff and I walk out and I said, you know, I said, you know, I, I, I you know, I'll, someday I'll get there. She goes, have a nice day, sir. I really don't care. And she, I just walked away. And I was, I was slightly offended by that. Have you ever like thought you were something and then reality slaps you in the face and says, you're not that anymore. How many of you hate to be profiled? But here's the reality. Have you ever thought about this? All of us profile people. For whatever reason, we feel more comfortable when we put everybody into these clean boxes so where we can kind of break them down and process them. You know what I'm talking about. Every person you meet, you have to put them categorically somewhere. Based on the color of their skin, you put them somewhere. Based on their size, you put them somewhere. Sometimes based on what their bodies 
look like, their piercings, the way that they dress. We put them in categories sometimes. All of us do that, don't we? Or something nuts. Not only do we do that with people, we also do that with God. Have you ever noticed? You ever wondered why we have so many denominations? It's our way of categories. Well, my God can do this. Well, my God could do that. Well, my God could do this. And they're categories. It's ways for us to try to explain an unexplainable God. But still we try. So this entire month we've been in this series called Beyond. We've been looking at what it really looks like for us to try to explain an unexplainable God. He is so far beyond us, guys, we just don't have a clue. A few weeks ago, we started with the idea of understanding that God is timeless, what that really means for us. He doesn't change. We change. How many of you have changed? How many of you are not 18 anymore? How many of you, your, you know, your, your top drawers are going into your bottom drawers? And vice versa. And then last week, we looked at how God is good. I don't know if we realize how important it is for us to understand that the God we serve is good. That is one of the cornerstone pieces of our theology. It helps us to understand and to withstand anything that we can in our faith. If you know that God is good, how many of you know that you can endure anything? Right? So today we take another step. Um, Today we break down probably one of the most toughest things for us to kind of get our head around. That God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. What does it mean that God is all-powerful? It's easy for us to talk about and for us to say. It's tough for us to explain. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalms 147. Again, if you have our app, if you get on our app, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, and you get all my notes. Let's jump into what it means that God is omnipotent. Psalm 147.5 says this. How great is our God. What's a great line? It should be a song, right? Oh, it is, that Chris Tomlin. How great is our God. There is absolutely nothing. Everybody say nothing. Say it like you know God. Say nothing. Nothing. There is absolutely nothing his power cannot accomplish. He has infinite understanding of everything. That's a powerful little verse, isn't it? So there's nothing that God can't do. He has unlimited power. He has unlimited understanding. So how do we process this? What is this? How does this impact you and I as believers? Well, the first is this. Understand this. God's power is limitless. Limitless. It has no boundaries. Nothing. Nothing can contain God's power. Have you really thought about this? Have you thought about the under, you know, just this, this whole thing of God being limitless? There's nothing, literally nothing that God can't do. You ever heard the thing, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? This is even beyond that. There's nothing that God can't do. He's a God with no limitations at all. Let's just be real. I don't think any of us in our human minds can fully comprehend what that is. Because all of us look through limited eyeballs. But God doesn't have that. Now because God is all powerful, that simply means this. He has no equal. Now the enemy sometimes will make you think that God and the devil are equals. They are not. You see symbols in the world, the yin and the yang. That's not true. Some of you, you know, remember back in the day, you know, there were boxing matches about Jesus and the devil, boxing and the Carmen videos and stuff like that. 
You know, and, and God got that lucky punch in and put the devil right down, right? Nothing is further from the truth. That's not how this is at all. God and the enemy are not engaged in this cosmic wrestling match. Now, the enemy works hard to make you think that that's the way that it is, but it's not. The truth is this. God is so far beyond all those things. There is no one. Everybody say no one. No one. There's no one like our God. He's no equal. He's all-powerful. That means that he can do anything. So here's the question today. Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that the God you read about in that book, the blessed book, is active and alive and all-powerful today? Because how many of you know, if you're like me, I don't want to just read the stories about God's power. I want to experience them now. So if you believe that that's the case, then what's wrong? You know, sometimes it's not tough for us to believe that God's all-powerful. Sometimes the, the sticky wicket is this. We don't believe that God can display his power through us, through human broken vessels. God is all-powerful, and he wants to use you to display his power. Sometimes we get consumed by the darkness around us. Sometimes we forget that even though our lives may look bad, even though our world looks like it's spinning out of control, understand this, beloved, at no point has God relinquished any of his control over the earth. Even though you don't see it, even though it looks different than what you anticipate, again, God is still perfectly sovereign, and he's perfectly in control. There's no fear that he's losing his grip. This is why we don't focus on the darkness that's around us. Even in your darkest situations, the Bible says this, God is your glory and the lifter of your head. What does that mean? He always desires to pick his hand and put it under your chin and say, look at me. Look at me. You can accomplish anything if you focus your eyes on God. But sometimes we get overwhelmed with the darkness. If your eyes fall off of God and you start to look at the darkness and God can't flood the earth with his power through you. So the goal is to stay focused on him. When you do that, we become reflections of his love, his presence, and his almighty power. He's looking for people. He's looking for a church that he can trust with his power. He's got enough of it. There is no match in this world for the power of God. None. But the enemy likes to make us think that um, things are here keeping us away from God's power. That God either just doesn't want to get involved or, or, or things are going wrong. And what he does is he magnifies the darkness around us. Beloved, do not fall for the enemy's schemes. All of us fall into that trap every once in a while, right? We worry over things that aren't really a worry at all. We all, you know, the Bible says, or the, the, you know, the world says hindsight is twenty twenty. After you get through the valley, you look back and you go, that wasn't that big deal at all. I remember a few years ago, you know, there, there are certain benchmark joys in parenting. So my first, you know, child was a son. My second child, Tori, my peanut, was a daughter. And the second she was born, I'll never forget this, I was, you know, something about having, you know, girl dads. It's not about having girls. And I thought to myself, someday, I will have the opportunity to harass her future suitor like my father-in-law harassed me. It's a rite of passage. It's just the way of things. 
And you don't know how it's going to affect you until those things come upon you. I remember Tori was, I want to say in fifth or sixth grade, we had youth group that night, and word got into my ears that a young male suitor was coming to the youth group to see Tori. He wasn't coming to see Jesus. He didn't want to talk to the Holy Spirit. He wasn't coming to get deeper in his faith. He wanted to see Tori Lynn Harris. I remember she walked past me, and it was weird. Her hair was in a little ponytail, and her cheeks were strangely red, (laughs) as if there was something on them like makeup. I didn't know what it was. So I pressed the issue a little bit with a few of of her little, you know, squealers, and I found out the name of this young man was Jake. 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 And in my head, I thought to myself, and by the way, if your name's Jake, I'm sorry. Jake. What kind of kid? Who names their kid Jake? Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. And in my head, I had these images of what this kid Jake was. You know, they're, they're you know, 11, 12 years old, but in my head, Jake was about 6'2", tattoos up and down his arms, maybe a leather jacket with spikes, tattoos all the way up his neck too. Maybe an eye patch. I don't know. Just an ominous guy. And I worked this up. You know, I'd, already, you know, I'd already determined Jake was probably a school dropout. You know, the worst of the worst. And I was psyching myself all day, you know, up all day to have my first encounter with Jake. Because how many of you know that first impressions are important? I wanted to let Jake know where the boundaries were and who he was going to tangle with. Hey, you want to tangle? You want to dance? We're going to dance Jake. I'll never forget it. I was standing out there. We had a big complex, and we had this garage with all these video games and stuff in it. The minivan pulled up. The side door swung open, and Jake got out. I didn't, I didn't get to see him. All I heard is, hey, his mom just left, and he's, again, 11-year-old. Okay, oh, here we go. He's in the building. It's time for me to make my grand entrance to see this kid, Jake. So I go to the thing. I kick open the door. I said, all right. I said, where's Jake? Just like that. And one of the girls goes, do you mean Jakey? <laughs> Jakey? I look down, and there's a kid, a little blonde kid, about that tall, about 43 pounds, and he goes, hi, my name's Jakey. <laughs> so you're Jake. And I remember looking out, he patted him on the head, I said, good luck, young man, and I just walked out. Because <laughs> I knew at any moment, Tori could kill him. <laughs> at any moment, he could die. And it was funny to me, All day long, the longer the day got, the more ominous Jake became. You know, by the end of the day, he was like Godzilla until I met him. And I realized Jake was really nothing. Sometimes we do that with our problems, with those things. The enemy loves to masquerade like something bigger than he really is. And the more you focus on that thing, the bigger he becomes. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to use fear, anxiety, to make you feel like he's bigger than he really is. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 puts it this way. It says, most importantly, be disciplined and stay on guard. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, just waiting and hoping for the chance to devour somebody. Lions, what do they do? You know why they roar? They roar for two reasons. One, to let other lions know this is my territory. And two to intimidate their prey. If they can scare the fire out of their prey, half of the battle's already won. 
Now, this is the difference between a real lion. If there's a real lion in here, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's every man and woman for themselves. <laughs> I'm heading for that door right there because I understand I'm a succulent Greek. I get it. I totally understand. The difference between a real lion and the enemy is that, um, you know, the enemy of our souls doesn't have the teeth of a real lion. And uh, we are protected by the blood of, the, of Christ. Understand his limitations. But he still tries to intimidate us. In fact, when you look at this verse, you see two things in this verse that the enemy does, tactics that he uses to keep you away from God and unable to flow in his power. The first thing that he does is he tries to, to again, intimidate us with the F word, fear. He loves to breathe fear into your life to bring you to the worst case scenarios of everything. Have you ever thought about this as a believer? What is the worst that could happen to you? You die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How many of you know that your hope is not in this world? It's not. I wish sometimes we lived with a better understanding of that. Because when you do, one of the things that happens is it frees you from fear. You don't have to be afraid. So as believers, what we do is we replace fear with faith. And you cultivate faith by keeping your eyes on Christ. We see this in the story of Peter walking on the water. If you're at your Bibles, turn to Matthew 14 real quick. It's a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible because of how complex it is. All of us are at some point, we're all pieces of this story. All of us are. Peter, what a great guy Peter was. He gets, you know, he gets a raw deal sometimes. But Peter did some amazing things. Matthew 14, 22 says this. Immediately after Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake uh, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. By the way, just a little pit stop here. Um, anytime you feel disillusioned, anytime you feel like your faith has lost its way, let me encourage you, anchor yourselves again to Jesus. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See the pattern of the life of Christ. And that will always bring you back into check. It will always be your compass. We see clearly here, a practice of Jesus. If you look in the Bible and you see how many times Jesus withdrew to these lonely places to pray, he did that so that his faith would be fueled. And he did that to recharge his batteries and to stay connected with the Holy Spirit. Do that. If you call me and you make an appointment with me because you're struggling to hear God, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to say, do you pray? If you say no, I'm going to kick you out of my office. If you come to my office and you say, God, I don't hear God. He doesn't speak to me. I'm going to ask you, do you read your word? If you say no, I will hurl you out of my office. It's not rocket science. Get connected to the Holy Spirit. Get connected to God again. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, don't forget, a good bit of these guys were fishermen. They understood the water. They understood the waves. 25. About 3 in the morning... Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. You see, fear trying to, to get its foothold in there. Verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. 
Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. What a man of great faith. If it's really you, invite me to come be with you. Invite me to step out. What kind of faith does it take to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm? Peter has it. Look at verse 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and he walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and he grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. I just, I love the disciples in the boat. They're the ones that let other people go out and take the steps of faith. And when it happens, they come back and they high-five you. Yay, we did it, we did it. You didn't do anything, you were still in the boat. What did we do? Unless there's a mouse in your pocket, don't say we, right? So here you have Jesus, or you have Peter and you have Jesus. So Peter gets out of the boat. What happened to Peter? Right in the middle of this miraculous act, he's experiencing God's power. What does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and his eyes start to focus on the wind and the waves. Fear starts to settle into his heart and he starts to sink. Beloved, don't allow fear to take your eyes off of your solution. Don't let fear change your vantage point. Don't let fear try to convince you that the God you serve is not all, he's not all powerful. He's not omnipotent. He is. The enemy tries to use fear to keep you in check. And when that happens, God's power can't flow through your life. Now, the second thing the enemy does is this. He tries to isolate you. As the lion comes in through the tall grass, he roars. And what, is it, what happens in the middle of the roar? The herd scatters, and he goes for either the, the little ones, the sick ones, or the chunky ones, because they're not as fast, right? And I'll let you decide what category you're in. Isolation. The enemy still tries to isolate us. He does everything he can to get you unplugged from God's power and unplugged from God's people. How many of you know that there is power in the herd? Amen. You are the herd, beloved. There's power in the herd. The enemy wants to pull you away from your source of strength, your source of power. He wants to pull you away from the Holy Spirit and from the body. This is why, beloved, at Trinity, we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. Um, if you try to live this Christian world apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will fail. You will never live up to your full potential in Christ. You won't. There's a difference, you know, between living a, a fully devoted follower, empowered life in Christ and sin management. God did not call you to just live squeaky clean. He called you to be empowered so that you can be the church on the planet now. Now, he deals with our sins. He forgives us. He deals with our sins. He makes you holy. But what good is it for you to be holy if you have no power? It's not either and or, it's and and both. So I want to encourage you, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, see Angel after the service, and you will be. Quickly. She has a list. Be empowered. Be plugged into the Holy Spirit. And don't pull away from the body.
Be part of the church. Stay connected. Sometimes the enemy will lie to you. This is how he isolates you. He'll tell you that you have to try to do everything you can in your own power to be successful in this Christ life. You can't. You can't do that with all. That's all a lie. You're not strong enough to live this all by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit in your life, and then you also need the church. You need the body. The enemy will tell you that only hypocrites come to church. This is true. Everybody lift up your hand. Say, I am a hypocrite. Nobody here is perfect. And if you just got offended because you just did that, you just proved my point. None of us are perfect. So do me a favor. Don't look at each other through the perfect lens. I think Jesus talked about this, didn't he? About a log and a speck. Right? So do me a favor. You know, beloved, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Don't be offended by every little thing. Don't be that person that's constantly offended. Don't give the enemy the ability to put hooks in your heart that pull you out of the body. Sometimes the enemy will lie to you and he'll tell you that you don't belong here because everybody in this room is perfect. Let me just tell you right now, nobody in this room is perfect. This is not leave it to beaver. These are not the cleavers. You know, all of our families are just trying to figure this stuff out. There's sometimes you're on the mountaintop and there's other times the mountain is on top of you. In all those things, God is still God. Amen? Now there's other times too that God will tell you this, or excuse me, the enemy will tell you this. That you're so far above people that you can't connect to these lowly people here. That's a lie from the enemy. The bride is the bride. All of us bring something to the table. This is not a place where you just come to take. This is a place where we come and we put our pieces in. All of us bring something beautiful to the table. We need each other. The church is more than just our, our worship. It's more than our coffee and our cookies and our cakes. It's more than our theology. It's more than our programs. All those things are good, and I'm not saying that they're bad, but beloved, when we base all of who we are on those things, it's incomplete. We are the church. The church is living, breathing stones. And there's a place at Trinity where only you fit. And if you don't get into that place that you're supposed to be in, we are lesser. Does that make sense? So don't shrink back. The enemy wants you to shrink back. When times get tough, you should get closer to the church. Get as close as you can. Share all your stuff. We'll get through this together. All of us bring something to the table. We need to figure this out. Let me tell you why. Because when the church is unified and healthy, the enemy is no match for the power that flows through her. Do you understand that the church is the main delivery system for the power of Almighty God on the planet? Do you know that? Little encounter. This is great. You know, Matthew 16, 18. Again, it's another great thing of Peter. And I will tell you, Peter, and on this rock, by the way, what made Peter's walking on the water even more remarkable, he's the rock, basically, right to the bottom, right? You know, he's talking to, to, to the disciples, and he says, Peter, you the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. The understanding of who God is, he says, I'm going to build my church on this. And then he says this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't know if you know anything about warfare and buildings and gates. The last I checked, gates are not mobile. They are stationary things that keep things in or keep things out. When I read this, I have this understanding. 
the church was never meant to be stationary. We were never meant to be a castle. We were never meant to be a fortress. We are an offensive force that God has unleashed on the planet to do what he does, what he did. You know what that was? To seek and save the lost. And when the church, all her pistons are firing, she's unstoppable. She is. Be the church. Don't be afraid. Don't hide behind things. If we decide to go to sleep and we decide to just shrink back and just blend into the, into the, the dull gray, what happens to our world? We have to be a church that is empowered with the Holy Spirit and that stands in the gap. When all of our pistons are firing, she's powerful and she's strong. Sometimes we just don't realize how strong we are. A few years ago, um, I was reading this book. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a book nerd. I found this out this week. You know that if you have a thousand books in your, in your house, they can sit, you're considered a library? Did you know that? For you bookworms? And I was starting to calculate all the books in my house, on the shelves, and you know, all the boxes in the basement. And I was afraid to get to that count because if I did, Robin would make me throw stuff away. <coughs> and I thought to myself, maybe I can get funding for being a library. You know what I mean? <laughs> so in one of these books I was reading <coughs> a few years ago, I was talking about different animal groups. And groups of animals are not all herds. Every group of animals has its distinct name for what they call it. For example, a group of whales is not called a herd of whales, it's called a pod. I remember growing up in Pittsburgh, the, the school I went to, the elementary school, was Ramsey Elementary School, and we didn't have classrooms, we had pods. To this day, I don't know why. Maybe we were trying to be whales, I don't know what it was. So if you see whales, they're called a pod. A group of flamingos are called a flamboyant. Doesn't that make sense? Should be more like a flamboyant, right? So they are. A group of owls is called a parliament. Doesn't that fit? Every time I think of an owl, I think of that owl from the Muppets. You know what I'm talking about? They said, hmm, they sit there and do all their stuff, ready? A group of buzzards is called a committee. We'll just let that sink in a little bit. Weird. It's funny because it's true. A group of giraffes is called a tower. That makes sense, right? The long neck. But my favorite by far is what they call a group of rhinos. A herd of rhinos is called a crash. Think about that. It's a crash. Now, rhinos are interesting to me. Let me tell you why. I don't know if you've ever seen a rhino. Rhinos stand about five foot tall. They weigh on average about 3,000 pounds. And they have this horn in the center of their head that just makes them look fierce. Now, rhinos aren't just big, but they're also fast, which means this. A rhino can run at 30 miles an hour. Think about that. Let me put this in maybe vernacular that you can understand. Let's say you're walking around Del Castle Park with your ice cream cone, and you happen to come upon a white rhino that's five foot tall, 3,000 pounds, and he decides he wants your ice cream cone. You better just give him your ice cream cone because he's going to run you down, stomp you, and then lick it off your face. If you don't, a crash of rhinos. Now, rhinos are fierce and they're amazing, but they have this one, one big problem. They don't see very well. So rhinos can see ahead of, you know, to about 30, about 30 feet, which is not very far at all. It's about 10 yards. So you would think the rhino's inability to see down the road would be a limitation for them, right? It's not. 
Because basically the rhinos have figured this out. When you take a crash of rhinos, a herd of them, and they start to move in the same direction, under the same speed, the same size, the same power, they are basically unstoppable. What's going to stop a crash of rhinos? Nothing. When they're unified, they're fierce, they're terrifying, they can do whatever they need to do. Beloved, there's an analogy for us in there too. When the church moves together, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, you know, bound together with love for each other, she is unstoppable. The enemy knows this. This is why he does whatever he can to divide us. He knows that once we figure it out and the Holy Spirit sits in the middle of us, we do damage. We're a Holy Ghost crash. And it's scary. That means this, beloved. It doesn't matter what our future looks like. It doesn't matter what the enemy has planned. The Spirit through the church, the omnipotent power of God flows through the church. When he can find a church that he can trust with his power, he releases his power through the church. It shifts the world. And God does the miraculous through us. Little chunky rhinos. That's what he loves to do. This is why unity for us is so important. Don't allow fear and isolation separate you from the power of Almighty God. Don't let him do it. Even in this strange and the shifting world, God still stands above it all. He is all-powerful. None can compete to him. His power created everything. His power sustains everything. This is what the word has to say about the power of God. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. What does that mean? Not only did God create everything, but before you and I could even comprehend this world, there was God. He is the beginning. He wasn't there at the beginning. He is the beginning of all things. He says this. This is what 1 Colossians 1.15 has to say. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we see and the things that we can't see. Listen to this. Such as the thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen realm. Those are all the spiritual powers of darkness that we wrestle against every day. Christ is supreme. He's supreme. It's not equal. He's supreme. Verse 17 says this, He existed before anything else, and He holds all of creation together. It's the power of God that holds everything together. Everything. From your atoms to your molecules to the moons that circle Saturn, or and Jupiter. He holds everything together. Romans 1.20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We see it displayed. His power is not just displayed in the physical things around us. His omnipotence is also at work deep inside of us, making us like him. Ephesians 3.20 says this, now to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could even ask or imagine through the power at work in 
us. God's power, that same power is at work in you right now. It's not just something for the cosmos. God's also concerned with your broken heart. He has power for that too. He's concerned with your fears. He has power to combat that too. He's concerned with your deepest struggles. He has power for that too. If you trust, he's all powerful. His desire is to have his power flow through you. So God's power is limitless, but that's not just it. Because how many of you know it's not just good enough to have God's power be limitless in some far off region of the cosmos? What does it mean for us? Well, not only is his power limitless, but God loves to display his power through us. Do you ever think about that? God wants to display his all-powerfulness through you and through I. So how can you and I, broken vessels, hope to contain the power of Almighty God? I mean, is that even, po- is that even possible? How can you and I do that? Well, there's only one way that you and I can contain the power of God. Ready for this? Only one way where the Holy Spirit can flow through us like that. It's through weakness. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, the extraordinary level of the revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me. The adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Verse 3. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. Verse 10. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. Now listen to this. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. When you're weak, God can flow through you more. What a crazy thought. Why? Because as humans, we think what gives us power is achievement. An accumulation of things. We think the smarter we get, the more we'll be trusted with power. We think the stronger we get, the more we'll be trusted with power. But for us as believers, the opposite is true. The more yielded on the spirit you become, the lower you become, the less you become, the more God can increase in your life. Beloved, don't ever forget this. God doesn't just call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't care about your pedigree. He doesn't care about all the knowledge you possess. I'm not saying any of that stuff's wrong, but what I'm saying is this. If that's what you put as the benchmark of being a container of God's power, you're incorrect. God's looking for yielded, broken, humble vessels. He's looking for yielded, broken, humble churches to display his power. That's what he wants. So if all of us carry weakness, what part of that weakness engages God's power? Faith. Not faith in us. Not faith in our ability. Our faith lies in the understanding that God is who he says he is. And that God can do what he says he can do. 
Beloved, at some point, God has to move off the pages of your Bible and engage your reality. At some point, we have to move beyond the stories of how God healed in the past, and we need to have stories of how God is healing now. That's the power of Almighty God. If He is unchanging, then, beloved, the norm for us as churches should be experiencing the miraculous every day, every week. That faith for us happens when we understand where we end and where the power of God begins. Let me introduce you to a brother of mine. This is uh, Matt Pollock. He was a guy at our church in Denver. We used to call him affectionately Crazy Matt. Because his hair, this is call, his hair is combed today. Crazy guy. Let me tell you the first time I met Matt. Matt came and he visited our church. At the end of uh, service, he wanted to come talk to me. I shared that day, I was talking about the Father heart of God. He was talking real low, so I kind of leaned in. And he was whispering to me. And as I was leaning in, Matt reared back and he punched me as hard as he could in the side of the head. Almost dropped me to the ground. Thank God I'm a sturdy Greek. King Leonidas would have been proud. I stepped back and one of my worship leaders, a female worship leader, um, occupied Matt until the men could come by. And I remember afterwards talking to Matt. And um, it just so happened that day, something about talking about the Father God uh, pinged his heart because he had a bad father. And, um, and he was struggling to be father to his children the weirdest thing happened Matt became part of our church and there was nothing about Matt that was like desirable or exciting or anything like that in fact Matt Matt was pretty you put him on the weakness if you saw Matt on the street you just would walk the other way he was an odd jobs guy and and Matt was just there's nothing desirable about him but Matt had this thing that was nuts he understood his weakness and his limitation but he had no concept or understanding that God had any weakness at all which meant this, Matt simply believed anything you prayed for, God could do. And in Matt's life, it happened over and over and over again. Almost everybody Matt prayed for, almost everybody got healed. It was nuts. Didn't matter where you were at. You could be in the, you know, at the Acme. He'd go, hey, Pastor TJ, how you doing? And he was one of those guys you saw me go, oh, no, it's crazy, Matt. And you'd hide the other way. Have you ever hid from people in the store? I hide from you people all the time. <laughs> I do. I went back by the produce. Are they gone? And it could be right at the Acme, wherever it is, and he just prayed for you, and God healed people all the time, and it was nuts. And I don't know why God did that, except for this. Matt understood weakness. Now, what's funny was this. You know, Matt's no longer here. God decided to take Matt home. He, uh, he died of leukemia. And I don't know why God does that, but I do know this. Matt was probably one of the most supernatural men I've ever met. And he didn't check any of our ordinary boxes. He didn't. How many of you know that you don't have to be intergalactic for God to use you? Right? In fact, it reminds me of John 14, 12. It says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with my Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it 
so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. So here's the question, beloved. Are you ready to be a vessel that God can use? Let me tell you what our world does not need right now. Our world does not need more talk. Our world needs a church that he can trust with his power. The last I checked, you and I are the church. He needs a church that's dependent on him. A church that walks in authority, not arrogance. How you doing, sweetie? You go back to mom. <laughs> there you go. He needs a church that's dependent on him. A church that walks in authority, not arrogance. A church that says yes when God says to step out. A church that's propelled by faith. Hi. There she goes. Bow your heads with me. Here's the question I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit about today is this. Ask him. Hey, Holy Spirit, am I in the position, do I have a posture where you can use me? The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. God is looking for people that approach him with yieldedness and weakness so that he can display his power through them. Be that person. I'm going to ask the ministry teams to join me. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to jump off of what Derek said earlier, and we're going to believe this morning for God to display his power in the midst of his church. I don't know what impossible situation you had today. I don't know what you brought into this place, but I know this, the God of the impossible is here. He wants to meet your need. And he wants to flow his power through you. So this morning, if you need a touch from God, maybe you're even here this morning and your faith has kind of gone dead and it's been dry and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, come to the front and allow God to fill you today. He created you for a purpose. Let's step into that purpose. So Father, would you do that this morning for us? Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you help us to be in alignment with your heart? Help us to be yielded. Help us to trust you, Lord God. Lord, help us to be containers of your power. Move in our situations, Lord. We believe in your name. And everybody said, amen. If you need prayer, come up. If not, God bless you. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.